This time on Poll Hub, whither the GOP? Is it Donald Trump's party? Or is Donald Trump just a very bright sun in the party's galaxy? Well, it depends on who you ask. We'll look at some survey data that has done just that to try and understand where the GOP is heading and what it may mean for American politics and American democracy. Then COVID and schools. Getting all American K-8 kids back in class has been a Joe Biden promise, but can he keep it? And are Americans on the same page? What about all the time and education lost to the pandemic? A lot to look at there. And come for the protein, stay for dessert. Least fun fact from the Roper archive. It is all about this precise moment in America. There's a tease, let's dig in. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Mary Griffith, Director of Media Initiatives at the Marist Poll, sitting in for Barbara Carvalho today. And I'm Lee Mergoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. So we're talking about impeachment again, kind of. Uh, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks for obvious reasons, but the impeachment is uh, behind us. Second impeachment of Donald Trump, no conviction. Um, and the reason we're talking about it kind of as a table setter is because uh, we want to talk about the GOP. There, I mean, America is a little unusual uh, among Western democracies in that we really do have only two parties. Uh, we don't have a parliamentary system. We don't have a lot of different parties that people pay attention to. There are other parties, but they don't really have a lot of traction. We have a two-party system. And a lot of people on both sides of the aisle will, will tell you in honest moments, it's important to have both sides, you know, to have a strong party on both sides. Um, and there are questions about where the GOP goes from here. And the reason is that Donald Trump, uh, in a, I think to a lot of people, uh, became the GOP. And I think there's, there's survey data that we have uh, had over, over the last four years and that is supporting that idea now that the Republican Party has become the party of Donald Trump. The, the kind of the question I would ask is, does it stay that way? And there certainly are forces within the Republican Party that are trying to stop that. And there's forces within the Republican Party that are trying to continue that. And of course, the bigger group is the group that wants to keep them going based on, uh, I mean, I was sort of startled by the second impeachment, I guess not by the result, but by as much as, you know, the argument that here we were at the scene of the crime, uh, you know, th th there was so much tape and video and, uh, you know, of, you know, there was just so much stuff that he had uh, was connected to directly or, you know, um, I know this, the, the, the terms of impeachment were high, but uh, um, so I was just a little struck by the fact that, you know, I know this was the biggest bipartisan vote to convict of the previous impeachments, but nonetheless, you know, every time the Republican Party kind of gets to the point where they can move beyond Donald Trump, they don't take that step. And that goes way, way back to when he was still a candidate and had the Access Hollywood problems and all that. So I'm struck by that. But but that has everything to do with the people who say they're Republicans in our polls, right, Mary? Absolutely. And Jay, you mentioned the numbers before. And just looking at a Quinnipiac poll that was released uh, around February 15th, 75% of Republicans say that they want to see Trump play a prominent role in the Republican Party in the future. 
Yet, when you look at Americans overall, that number is only 60%. Um, actually, uh, let me correct myself, 60% of Americans say they do not want Trump to play a prominent role in the Republican Party. And just taking a look at some other polls uh, that are, have been recently released, this is a CNBC All-America Economic Survey released um, on around uh, the same time, a little bit before uh, the impeachment uh, verdict came out or the impeachment decision came out. 54% of Americans said that they want Trump to remove himself from politics entirely. Um, so, you know, we're really looking at here a very difference of opinion, a difference of opinion. And something that struck, that came to my mind in looking at these numbers is when we talk about politics, you know, we when we think about um, this image crisis that the Republican Party is facing, who does it really matter most to? And it comes down to politicians who are running for office. And there are quite a few Republicans who are going to be seeking office in the next couple of years. And we always talk about the pivot from the primary to the general election. And so it's two very different images and two very different perspectives for a candidate who is either being primaried or is going to be involved in a primary. And then how does he or she pivot when Americans don't want that perception of Trump associated with the Republican Party moving into a general election? So what do you think about that? I think I think it's a very good point, because look at the votes in the Senate who voted to convict. There was only one of the Republicans, uh, Murkowski of Alaska, who's facing the voters in 2022. The others aren't up for, you know, a political lifetime yet and or the retiring. Uh, so there's no doubt that um, that people were, uh, you know, they weren't going to put their neck politically on the line. Uh, and, and even, you know, we always hear, look at the vote about Liz Cheney that was a secret ballot and how different that was uh, when, you know, the, when the people aren't being counted by or identified by their vote by name. I mean, what would have happened if this was a secret ballot? I don't know. Might have been a different, uh, different situation. Jay, I, I just want to jump in on one thing because you did make a reference to the fact that we have a two-party system and it's not parliamentary, which is obviously the case, but we, we have our parties almost functioning as if we're in a parliamentary system. We're having the worst of both worlds because hmm. there, there's only two parties. If there were five parties and they were all splintered, they would form coalitions <laughs> and move things ahead legislatively. But we only have two parties, so somebody's got to get to 50% on a legislative thing or 60% on you know with the filibuster before you can get agreement and that's what the that's where the dysfunction is. We have a parliamentary sure, but, um, parties without the without the system that allows but, for it. But we've been been here before before the Civil War through moder the creation of the modern Republican Party, which <clears throat> came about because the Whigs couldn't hold together. Not to go deep into history here, but I, I, that's I mean that's my question is when you look at the uh, when you look at these numbers and you basically have Republicans and everybody else. And Republicans, self-identified Republicans, which are a smaller group of people than, the, than have been over the last few years. It's a shrinking number of people who self-identify as Republicans. And we talked about that last week. It happens. Uh, they, uh, as a majority of them, a big majority of them, love Donald Trump. They don't love the Republican Party. They love Donald Trump. So this is much like the Whigs way back in the day where... You had to. You had one group of Whigs who supported one thing, and one group that's for another, and they split. The know nothings and the Republicans, and the Republicans won, and you have two parties again within four years by 1860. Are we at that point? Is it possible that the Republicans could splinter into the party of a person, Donald Trump, and the Republican Party, whatever it would be called, which is the party of 
arguably principle, I mean, whatever you want to call it, some ideas and, and theories and a, a way of governing, uh, and that we split and one of them ends up having to become the dominant party. Is that possible? Well, here I thought it was just the opposite. I thought it was going to be that the Republicans might purge Trump and that his people would go leave and take on a different party. But what seems to be happening, the more likelihood is that Trump has taken hold of the Republican Party. And if you're a Mitt Romney or somebody, you know, who's uh, just a fiscal conservative, traditional Republican, you know, the, the Bush family type, that you're going to have to leave and form your own group. I don't know. It just seems like, you know, maybe they're just going to try to wait it out and um, see if Trump sort of fades, does a little Sarah Palin and fades a little with the absence of publicity. I don't know, Mayor, what do you think? I don't know. I think we're going to have to just wait and see. I think you, you, the decision just came down over the weekend. I think that there are a lot of Republicans out there scrambling to kind of figure out their path. But it is certainly something that they're going to have to figure out sooner rather than later. You know, we, we talk about the midterms only being, you know, two two years away. And it's never, never quite, uh, we, we always think it's a long time until it's not. <laughs> well, also, the midterms are always, uh, you think you know what, what's going to happen. And then the opposite, often the opposite happens. Absolutely. So it, it's really interesting because the Republicans right now seem, there's a lot of stories in disarray, at a crossroads, blah, 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 blah. But Right now, there's a piece in, in Politico and a couple of other places that have been talking about the fact that Republicans think they actually have an issue for 2022, and it's school reopenings. They think that they actually have an issue, and they may, that they have an issue here that's a bread and butter, meat and potatoes issue for a lot of Americans. Because a lot of Americans are parents or grandparents, they have kids, they're dealing with kids, kids in school, not in school, and they think that there's an opportunity here um, to to take the lead on schools by pointing out any failures in Joe Biden's attempt and Democrats attempt to, or Biden's promise to get schools reopened. Is that realistic, do you think, based on what we're seeing in the polling about schools? Well, I, I think the school issue may um, solve itself <laughs> before 2022. I sure hope it does uh, for just uh, the parents and the kids, but uh, um, you know, there's been this disruption and, uh, and, and we're at a point where the teachers are concerned, students are concerned, the CDC is putting all kinds of things in. Um, Mary, you've looked at some of the numbers, uh, anything jump out at you? Yeah, so just in terms of, you know, hoping that life returns to normal uh, before 2022, Gallup released new data. It shows that a majority of Americans um, say that the COVID-19 disruption in work and school and daily life will last past mid-2021, so beyond um, the middle of this year. And, you know, we talk about schools reopening. One of the biggest questions or guidelines is, you know, to what extent will students be wearing masks, you know, and socially distancing and doing you know, putting in place all those precautions that are needed. And so I just want to take a step back and look at a Quinnipiac poll uh, that was released earlier this month. And, you know, it asked Americans how often they wear a mask when they go out in public, um, where six feet of social distancing can always be maintained. And 75% of Americans said all the time, and 12% said most of the time. And, you know, when you look at those numbers, you're like, wow, that's, that's, pretty, pretty, that's pretty good, you know, in terms of uh, the amount of people who are wearing uh, masks when they go out. But I do want to bring up another um, piece of data that was released from by the CDC. It was a web, web panel of 3,900 
middle and high schoolers ages 13 to 21 who attend in-person classes. And they, this um, question asked about how often do these students see their fellow students wearing a mask? And so it really depends in terms of the situation. About 65% of students said that their fellow students wore a mask all the time in the classroom, in hallways, and in stairwells. So, okay, that's not, that number is, you know, less than what we're talking about in terms of Americans overall. But when you look at different situations, 42% um, said on school buses that their classmates wore masks, 40% uh, in restrooms, and 36% in cafeterias. Now, you, you all know I'm a mom. My kids are a little bit younger than uh, the, the students who were polled. You know, I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old who do attend in-person classes. Um, when you hear that, that difference in the numbers, that is a parent's worst nightmare. Because you know you can't be with them all the time. You send them into the classroom wearing masks. You're prepared, they're prepared. But what happens when they get inside the school? You can't be there. You know, our school, great guidelines. You know, um, they enforce them. But you know, little kids, masks are gonna fall down every once in a while. You know, there are gonna be times when they have to eat and they're, you know, they're drinking. So when you hear that difference between what Americans overall are doing and what students are reporting seeing inside the classrooms, well, that's a little concerning. What do you hear from other moms and dads in your school um, about the idea of getting all K through eight kids back? Now, yours are already in, but they may have kids in other schools, they may have older grades. What's the, I mean, what do you hear on the ground? Well, we're in a relatively new school for us. And in terms of um, you know, what I hear from other parents, it was a very difficult decision all around to, to send you know, our kids to school five days a week in person. There are other families who, because of whatever sort of personal issues they have, medical issues in the household, have chosen not to send their children who are doing fully remote. So it really because it's really a very personal issue. Um, I will say though that there have been times when my kids have had to be remote, you know, for a week or two because of cases popping up in the school and they've been great about closing down the school. But I do see the difference in my kids. You know, um, they're a lot happier when they're going to school every day and when they're interacting with their with their peers. And you know, hearing them say, "Mom, mommy, I don't like being, you know, talking to my friends through glass or I don't like being in front of a computer," you know. It, it says, okay, well, maybe we're doing something right here for our family, at least. Again, it's a very personal decision. Yeah, I think the whole look, the whole problem is, I mean, it's, it's tough to be living through history, and, and we've been doing that in our politics and also in our healthcare, because uh, we're going to look back at this time and we're going to have different senses of what it was like. Um, but, but you know, the ability of people to make decisions—it's—it's it's a moving target. Time is always the trade-off. The economy is always a trade-off because it's not easy for people to have the kids home if they have jobs, for example. I mean, it, it has a you know an impact on people. It's obviously got a um, uh, you know in terms of people being remote, not everybody has the same kind of setup at home that can be as um, as feasible uh, for them in terms of the kids' education. So there's a distributive you know equity issue involved. Um, the, the, the hope would be if we can, you know, keep these variants at bay and we can get people vaccinated, including teachers um, who seem to want that very badly, understandably, um, then maybe these things are going to work out in the short run, um, meaning the next month or two uh, where we get into a better place, um, you know, where more people are getting vaccinated. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I we also see numbers that people... You know, we're reluctant last year 
to extend the school year into the summer. I'm not sure if people could buy a little time now. I'm not sure how they would feel about that particular issue, but there's the summer school issue. There's the, uh, you know, distance learning issue. There's the having kids in school issue. I mean, these are, wow, these are lots of, lots of stuff that uh, heavy, heavy you, questions. Heavy you questions. mentioned that, that summer school poll, that's the Gallup poll from March of 2020. And, and it is a good question whether any of these numbers would hold up. I, my guess is they might change after a year of distance learning, but 27%, only 27% uh, supported the idea of extending the school year into the summer. Um, that was not necessarily permanent, obviously. That was to, to make up for the problems that were happening at this time in 2020. You know, so a full year ago. I just wonder, Mary, when you, when we look to what comes after, and as a parent, you're, yeah, you're thinking about every day, and are they going to get exposed, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But in the back of your head, or maybe not the back of your head, maybe right in front of your head is, but what are they missing, and how do we fix that? How do we correct that? Your kids, you know, have been in in classrooms a lot of the time, but a lot of the time they haven't been for a variety of reasons. There are states where kids haven't been in the class at all. There are other states where they've been in the classroom for most of the time. That seems to me to be kind of the elephant in the room that's looming. That seems to me to be the big issue that on the other side of it, it's not going to be in the next few months. But by the time we get to the fall, it just seems to me there's going to be these giant gaps between some kids and other kids. And what the heck do we do to fix that? And where is the public opinion going to be on that? It's a it's a huge question. Um, you know, you just don't know, and we're not gonna know, as you pointed out, Jay. But it is a concern from a parent standpoint. You know, what is my child going to be far behind other students? You know, you do the best you can as a parent, and you make the decisions that you feel work. You know, for your children and for your family at a specific time. But it is, as we pointed out, I think it was last week that it's going to take some time for us to really assess the long-term impact on children's education. You know, I hesitate to even try to pull out a crystal ball to look into it because things are just constantly moving and different policies are changing um, every single day. And that's a question that, you know, I want to uh, bring up to you is, to both of you is these CDC guidelines, how do they help or hurt the Biden administration? You know, this has been a big part of Biden's platform is getting kids back into the classroom. Are these guidelines strong enough or does there need to be something more to kind of push push the administration? Yeah, we're all good with good questions today. I don't know if we have all the good answers. I mean, I saw Kamala Harris, the vice president on uh, uh, NBC uh, uh with Savannah Guthrie the other day. And, you know, there were some very specific questions and she had very good, not directly answering the questions responses because, you know, the best she could come up with, I thought was, well, these are recommendations by the CDC. These are not law and these are not mandates. Um, so I think, you know, you know, it's it's a problem. I mean, I think, you know, it's good to have the CDC, you know, playing a more active and more prominent role as an authority on this. Uh, but, you know, you know, are, are people willing to, you know, if it comes back to, as she as the vice president said, masks, social distancing uh, and, 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 and the like. Um, uh, but I think the teachers are going to want to be vaccinated. And um, without that, just not going to be a lot of happy people in the classroom. Very briefly, I think it's a double-edged sword for the Biden administration, and it could go well, and it could be a bad thing that these recommendations uh, came out the way they do. We, we, we will see. I think that we will know much more quickly. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we've picked, we've taken on a couple of really heavy topics today. So I'd like to leave us <laughs> on a little bit of dessert a time. Note. Yeah. Um, Lee, there is something that you've been wanting to do uh, for quite a long time. And surprise, surprise, it has to do with the Roper Archive. So I'm going to let you take it away. Well, yeah, our, our, our friend at HuffPo, uh, Ariel Edwards-Levy, um, she's uh, she uh, finds some good gems and from the Roper Archives, and she came up with the uh, Gallup poll from 1960, which seemed very, very, as I look out the window right now, it's snowing, and most of the country is having, you know, major storms. Obviously, in places like Texas, it's become very, very serious for people, and we don't want to certainly make light of that. But the question Gallup asked in 1960 is, what is your favorite month of the year? Which I thought was interesting because May, which happens to be my favorite month of the year because my birthday is in May, um, at 19%, um, but it goes all the way down, and shock, 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 the uh, coming in last at 1%, is and those are people who like to ski. I assume is February, <laughs> and uh, it's it's the shortest month. But what do they say? Possibly the cruelest, uh, cruelest month. Could be Valentine's Day, fans. Could well, be there romantic. You go. There you go. Well, then you get past or birthdays. Birthdays. You know. Yeah, but what's your favorite percent? month, Mary? I like October. I was surprised November came in second to last because November with Thanksgiving and stuff, and it's not a bad weather month. I was actually surprised by that. I am happy to see June was in second place behind May since that's my birthday month. <laughs> and it doesn't surprise me that May and June. I mean, I, those are that's my favorite time of year, too. Well, 1% but, is so low for fe February. If this was a debate, uh, February uh, wouldn't even qualify to get on the Wouldn't make the stage. No. <laughs> no. No, well, actually, neither would January, March, or November. So, you know, it would be a, a shortened, uh, shortened calendar year. Anyway, that was fun, Lee. Yeah. Fun fact. Let's keep doing that. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> well, on that note, that will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. I'm Mary Griffith. I'm the executive producer of Poll Hub. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. Amelia Morell is our production assistant. And Marcello Bettman is our editor. And we take this time to talk about the Roper Center who at Cornell University have the archives of all the pollsters who have good polls to, to send their way. So if you're looking for any information uh, about some of the things we talk about uh, beyond what we talk about, you can always ask questions to us, but you can also check the Roper archives. Lots of good stuff there. If you've got questions or uh, comments, reach out to us on social media. We're at Maris Poll on Twitter, Maris Poll Facebook, and uh, Instagram. And that's where we like to get your questions. Uh, we can uh, more rapidly respond. If you've got anything you'd like to ask for us to ask in a poll, that's a good place to do it, too. Finally, if you like what you hear on Poll Hub, please consider leaving a review on whatever podcasting app that you are listening to this on. Positive reviews help other people find us. So if you like us, this is a good way for other people to find us. And while you're at it, go ahead. If you haven't done so already, subscribe. That way the latest episode pops into your podcasting app before we even release it to the public. You get an early release. So do it. Anyway, stay safe. and We'll see you next time.